How does it happen that new parents hold their newborn child and think to themselves, fool? Wouldn't that be a nice name? I've heard from those who work in hospitals or in social services and from teachers too that parents can have surprisingly bad judgment in naming children. (laughs) Do you think this is what happened to Nabal? It's possible. But it's more likely that Nabal was a name assigned to him later. A way of summarizing his character in retrospect. The first detail we're given about Nabal, before we even hear his name, is that he is very rich. Wealth is measured in agriculture in this economy, and Nabal has 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. This is enough to feed over 100,000 people. He's a man of means, a powerful man in his world. This is why when we hear later in the story that he's throwing a feast, we hear that it's like the feast of a king. Nabal is a very powerful man. When we do learn his name, we also hear his wife's name, Abigail, followed by a short description of both of them. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. Then tagged on to Nabal's uh, behavior is this seemingly random little detail that he is a Calebite. Now, on the surface, it means he's part of the tribe of Caleb. Caleb was a legend in Israel because he trusted God and he bravely led the children of Israel into the promised land in spite of the fear of those around him. But beneath the surface lies another blow to Nabal's reputation. A Calebite is a person who behaves like a dog. In no time then, before any reason is given, we're told that Nabal is a rich fool, harsh, badly behaved, and comparable to a dog. Why the rabid character assassination? Someone in our day would be sued for defamation. Maybe Nabal has reasons for his bad behavior. Maybe his mother was unkind to him. Maybe it's because his parents named him Nabal. This kind of black and white labeling of people is tough for us to swallow. You know, at our best, we want to look for the good and the bad in people. Yeah, he's a jerk, she's rude, but they've got some good qualities. There's always some silver lining to people, especially when it comes to ourselves. But there are places in the Bible where it's insistent. There are fools in this world. Fool is the lowest, most blatant insult the Bible is capable of giving. Think of the most offensive name you could call someone today. Look, this is the only time in church you get permission to think about this. You want to take advantage of it. Whatever word you think of, that's the equivalent of fool in the Bible. From the word fool comes the word meaning to collapse. And closely connected with this word is the word for corpse. As one writer puts it, when the hot air has left the gaudy balloon of a fool's body, all that is visible is a limp bladder. This is low. Nabal is a fool. 
And everything in our story will attest to this. So the action begins with David asking Nabal for a small favor. The the wilderness was something of a high crime district in the ancient world. With animals, people, isolated, bandits, criminals could sneak in and steal. But David and his men have provided protection for Nabal's shepherds and his flock. So they ask a fair question. On the day when Nabal and his men will feast, after all the arduous work of shearing his 3,000 sheep, can they spare a little bit of food for David and his men? This is a man who can feed a people. Surely he has some to spare. Insults David by calling him a runaway servant, and he denies knowing him. Now, this is highly unlikely. David is the most famous warrior in Israel, the one who saved Israel from Goliath. It's impossible that Nabal did not know of David. Instead, what comes across in Nabal's response is his greed. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers? There's also a cruel irony in Nabal's response. He says, There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Now, the irony here is that Nabal's foolish cruelty is going to lead his servants and even his own wife to break away from him and to move to David. Nabal's accusation of David being a runaway hits a nerve. David is on the lamb, but not because he wants to be, because he has to be. And now he's had it. He's been patient with Saul. He's been patient with all the people running after him up to this point. But now he loses his cool. And he decides to wipe out Nabal and his men. Here's the point in the story where the conflict gets complicated. Nabal is a fool, no doubt about it. But David, in his anger, risks becoming just like Nabal. It's true that people are often more complicated than just being a fool or not being a fool. It's rarely so black and white. But here's the risk. At any moment, any of us can become a fool. David's been a shining light, he's, but he's about to jump off a precipice. He's about to turn a corner that he can't come back from. Ever been at the same place? On the verge of making a decision that will define you in some way. Some unalterable way. Of becoming a person you don't want to be. All of us have been here. Then enters Abigail. A picture of beauty. Even more than that, a picture of providence, of mercy, an opportunity for David to turn. Here's what I find remarkable about Abigail. In spite of her husband, she has not become ugly. When we allow foolish people to rub off on us, we tend to become like them in some way, to lose beauty instead of gaining it. Bitterness, anger, resentment, these are diminishing traits. Abigail has remained beautiful and discerning despite her husband. A servant runs to report the news to Abigail. Evidently, the servant knows that Abigail is a clever woman. In fact, this isn't the first time she's protected her husband from his own 
foolishness. Listen to what the servant says to Abigail. Consider what you should do. For harm is determined against our master and against all his house. And he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. Nabal is the epitome of a fool in that he does not listen. He's the type of person about whom Jesus says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So knowing very well that he will not listen, Abigail doesn't even waste time going to her husband. Our storyteller knows how big of a deal this is for a woman to sidestep her husband to try her luck talking to a different man. So the narrator takes pains to point it out. She did not tell her husband Nabal, the fool. Instead, she goes to David. At this point, we need to take a brief moment to ask a question. Husbands, have you given your wife any reason to behave this way? Any reason to suppose that you will not listen to her? Wives, what about you? We do believe, certainly, what was just read to us from Ephesians about wives respecting husbands, husbands being the head of the wife, loving the wife as Christ loved the church. But whatever we say about the husband's headship in the home has to be held together with passages like this one and a similar case of Rebecca deceiving Isaac before Abigail's situation. You see, Rebecca and Abigail were both heroes of the faith. And they were heroic precisely when they treated their husbands as the fools that they were. This shouldn't be a scenario anyone wishes for or gets excited about, wives. But there does come a time when passivity becomes endorsement and sin. Abigail just like Rebecca before her, acts quickly. She prepares food and wine and has it brought to David and his men by an entourage. You always hear if a man is grouchy, you should give him food, right? Abigail hopes this tactic might work in this scenario. The feast arrives a little bit at a time. The aim is that the presentation itself might distract long enough for David's anger to be dispelled. And Abigail the one woman of uncommon beauty arrives last after all the food has come. She immediately bows before David and she asks that all the blame be placed on her. This is such a great contrast to Nabal. While she claims guilt for his folly, a guilt that is not hers, all Nabal claims is ownership of his property. My sheep, my shearers, my food. This is all he can lay claim to. Does Abigail excuse Nabal? Is this what she should do as his wife to respect him? Not at all. You see, that would be cooperation in his folly. Instead, she tells David, this isn't worth you becoming a fool over. He's not worthy of that much of attention from you. God has chosen you, she tells David. And up until now, God has kept you from blood, blood guilt. Don't ruin it now. 
David quickly realizes that God has saved him. That Abigail is a divine messenger sent to keep him from becoming a fool. And he listens. Now this, as much as anything else, is what separates the fool from the wise person. The wise person listens and receives advice while the fool is set on his or her own direction. A crisis has been averted at this point. Now Abigail can go to Nabal. But when she arrives to tell him, he's oblivious, unavailable again. He cannot listen because he is drunk. When the wine is worn off, Abigail tells him what's happened. And Nabal is assumedly an unhealthy man, having glutted himself on his food and wine. So something like cardiac shock takes a hold of him. Within ten days, he's dead. And the end of his life provides a picture of the proverb, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Nabal pays for his sins, his foolishness, with the currency of his marriage and at the end, his life. Now Abigail, her beauty being more than skin deep, turns from her fool of a husband declares her loyalty to her true master, who is the true anointed of the Lord, the one who points to the Lord Christ. Now, having listened to this story, one way of reading the Bible is as if it is a mirror for us. We look into the mirror of this story and it reflects back to us the truth about us and about our world. So one of the things this story tells us is there are Nabals. There are fools in our world. There are those who live as if God doesn't exist, as if the rules don't apply to them in the same way they apply to everyone else, as if there is no God and there will be no judgment in the end. This is why when Jesus tells a story about the man who stores up his possessions, the story is told as if God says at the end, you fool, what will you do now that the judgment has come? To whom will your possessions go? We do not do anyone any favors if we soft pedal this reality. And while none of us have the right to hand out final judgments, neither are we asked to entertain fools. It's not as if that's the special request that's been made on Christians, to be nice to fools. Instead, through lives of truth, goodness, and beauty, just like Abigail, we are to expose foolishness for what it is. It is anti-God. It is anti-life. And it is anti-flourishing. So are you living this kind of life? Are you becoming a person of deeper discernment and inner beauty? The only way to do this is to turn yourself over to God, the God who has been revealed in Jesus, to become the kind of person who listens well, who doesn't shun wisdom like a fool. Now, there is another thing that this story shows us as a mirror. 
the rest of the story goes to show that life isn't always this black and white. Any of us, no matter how well we may begin, can become a fool. So David, he takes additional wives, as we heard Scott read at the end of the story, a practice that's going to get him in big trouble down the road. And even though David doesn't shed blood in this scenario, it's as if there are clouds gathering in the far distance. Later in David's life, he's going to isolate himself from people like Abigail who will tell him the truth, who will intervene from him when he's about to jump off that precipice. And when he does that, he's going to ask for another beautiful woman whose beauty does not run as deep as Abigail's. He's going to have an affair with the woman. And when that affair is going to be found out, He's going to have her husband killed. Adultery quickly turns into murder, and a man who was once wise quickly becomes a fool. And though he does receive mercy, his life is forever tainted by foolishness. None of us know our future. None of us know the challenges and the temptations we're going to face in life. We cannot predict these things. And to try to is to be foolish. How do we avoid becoming fools? This is the question we ask. There's only one sure way in the whole world not to become a fool. We give ourselves over to the mercies of Christ. He's the only one who is pure, the only human who is perfectly beautiful. You know, Abigail is actually a picture of Jesus. Because Jesus, like Abigail to David, comes to us in our foolishness. He meets us with bread and wine, his own body and blood. And as guiltless as he is, he takes all the blame for the world's sin and foolishness our own foolishness. And He lovingly tells us, don't become a fool for the world. In truth, all of us are already fools in some way. All of us are. We love the wrong things. We make decisions without God in mind. Without Jesus, we are entirely lost. But Christ comes. Like Abigail, He is sent by God to meet us, to woo us back to Him. So here is the question that this story asks. Are you listening to the voice of Christ calling you to follow Him, to turn from foolishness and go in the paths of life? To follow Jesus is to become the only kind of fool worth being. One who even in death loses nothing but gains everything. But not to listen to Jesus is to become the worst kind of fool. It's to lose joy and peace now. And it's death. It's to lose even more. And so here's the question that the story asks you. Are you listening to the voice of the true beloved? the only truly beautiful one, the Christ who loves you and wishes well for you. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.